Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's career and technical education has evolved significantly from the vocational education of former years. Today's CTE gives students strong academic, technical, and hands-on skills and can help prepare them for success in hundreds of different career pathways that touch virtually every sector of the economy. Career readiness is certainly a focus for Pennsylvania right now, and with the recent signing by Governor Wolf of the former House Bill 265, now Act 76, numerous career and technical education issues are the focus. Here with us for this episode, we have two guests from the Pennsylvania Department of Education. Matthew Stem, Deputy Secretary of the Office of Elementary and Secondary Education. Thanks for being with us, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me. We uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak to everyone about such an important topic that we've been working hard to elevate over the past several years. And also with us, Dr. Lee Burkett, Director of the Bureau of Career and Technical Education. Welcome, Dr. Burkett. Thank you very much. We really appreciate being here. Great. Thank you. So to provide some context around this area, how many CTCs are there in the state of Pennsylvania? There are 84 career and technical centers in the state. 84. And how many school district high school programs are there? Well, there are 135 uh, school districts that offer career and technical education in the state. Okay. How are CTE programs delivered at the secondary level? Well, as you indicated, we have CTE programs offered in high schools. We also have them offered in the career and technical centers, which are joint schools. The career and technical centers are set up two different ways. One is they're a part-time CTC, which the students attend the career and technical center for half a day and then return to their high school for the academic coursework or vice versa. Then there's the comprehensive career and technical center where the students stay there all day and gain their academic and technical instruction. Okay. And we offer, or actually we approve programs so that they run one year, two years, three years, or four years. Okay. So lots of options, it sounds like. Yes. What is the CTE enrollment across the state, and has there been an increase recently? Sure. So the uh, enrollment around the state right now is a little over 67,000 students that are that are enrolled in uh, CTE programs. And, uh, you know, we're happy to say that enrollment is up a little over 2 percent uh, in, in the past three years. And it's also important to note that's why while the overall high school population across the state is uh, is declining. So we're seeing mm. what appear to be small increases in CTE enrollment, but within the backdrop of overall high school enrollment declining. So it's modest, and this is an area where we're continuing um, to try and push to increase enrollment, uh, and you know through a variety of strategies. Okay. Within those total uh, enrollment numbers, have you seen gender shifts or increases in what may have been seen as non-traditional? For example, the number of young women in engineering technologies or young men in nursing. Have you seen any shifts in those areas? We have. We have over nearly 9,000 students 
that are enrolled in programs that are um, underrepresented uh, in terms of gender. For example, mm. maybe males in, in nursing or females in welding. Um, okay. And the trends are, are real, very encouraging there. We've actually seen just in the past two years over a 6.6% increase in females in programs that were traditionally uh, male-dominated fields. So uh, that, that's something that um, we're pleased to see and are continuing to, to work to increase those numbers. Okay. Explain how career and technical education can help prepare students for career or college. Sure. So we believe that um, career and technical education still remains one of the, the hidden gems in our educational system. Uh, and first and foremost, the opportunities that students pr- receive in career and technical education programs are aligned with real-world experiences. And so uh, as students uh, engage in various programs of study, they're actually doing real work that's tied to careers and and future possibilities. And so we see that as a significant opportunity for students. Students involved in in, uh, career and technical education programs of study have many options that are available to them. So this is a pathway. This isn't uh, this isn't the uh, an end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So for many students, they move on from career and technical education programs directly into living wage jobs. We see that in areas again such as welding and mechatronics and machine tools and many many areas that are skilled jobs that students can graduate with licensing and skills that that prepare them for that. And in fact, we've had over a 27% increase in the number of students receiving industry certifications um, just in the past four years. So that's one pathway. And then the other one is that many students do enroll in career and technical education with every intention of continuing on to a two and four year education. Um, One of the stories I like to share from when I was in the field was um, when I was an assistant superintendent in one district, we had one of our students who was uh, in the top 10 of his class who was looking to uh, pursue a, a career uh, in, in health careers, and he actually he took courses in RCTC knowing that that was going to be the best opportunity for him, Who and he eventually went pre-med and then by now uh, is probably in medical school. So oh, wow. we need to remind, um, this is one of the areas we're looking to destigmatize, if you will, in career and technical education. And that I love in your intro how you talked about, um, you know, this isn't the Votech that many of us remember during, yeah, during our childhoods. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're trying to work with parents and community members um, to understand that career and technical education is a vital pathway uh, as part of our broader educational system and uh, continue to incentivize uh, students to take advantage of those. Great. So it sounds like there are a lot of options and flexibility where this is concerned. Correct, yes. Is there industry demand for CTE students? Yes, absolutely. So one of the, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure over the past number of years to get out and speak to a number of chambers of commerce and workforce development boards. Um, We have the governor's middle class task force and we have workforce command centers. And one of the common themes that we hear everywhere we go is that, um, and hopefully this is an appropriate phrase, but we hear about this silver tsunami of uh, of baby boomers mm, that are mm-hmm. going to be exiting um, the workforce, particularly in the skilled workforce, 
and um, and not enough uh, workers and and uh, young people coming into the system with the skills uh, for those jobs. In fact, even just last week when we were at one of our uh, Lee and I were at a Perkins hearing, and we had a gentleman come up uh, who you know let let everyone in attendance know that he's of retirement age uh, and is looking to retire, but underscores how important it is to find. Uh, students that have the machine tooling experience. His industry requires okay. those with that skill. So we hear it um, in every group we work with, and, and we hear it in every part of the state. You know, that was in Western PA, but we hear it in the northern tier. We hear it in the southeast um, everywhere we go. Okay, and so you're hearing it broadly. Are there some high-priority occupations? Are there industry clusters that you're seeing or hearing about? We, we are. I'll let Lee talk to you a little bit because we have 12 industry clusters and then among those are subclusters. Hmm. And, and I think what we find is the needs in those clusters, that's where there's some geographic diversity in terms of the, the needs and what's high priority in one area versus another. But Lee, do you want to do you want to add anything or speak to some of that? Yes, actually the career and technical centers and the school districts work closely with the workforce development boards to help identify those workforce needs that mm -hmm. are within their regions. Okay. And as Matt indicated, advanced manufacturing, agriculture, allied health are always a high priority mm. regardless of what region of the state that we visit. Okay. And you talked a little bit about some other organizations or agencies that you work with, but how does the Department of Education work with other state agencies to meet current industry demands? So one of the things that um, you know the governor has very much um, directed and, and encouraged among all the agencies is for that cross collaboration, and so we work extensively with with most agencies in state government at PDE, but in this space in particular with labor and industry and, and DCED, um, economic development. So for example, we have career pathways, workforce development activities that we lead out of the Department of Education. In fact, right now, we're establishing cross-sector partnerships uh, between K-12 institutions, institutions of higher education, and workforce, and we've aligned and worked alongside of DCED to align our regions with the 10 regions that DCED uses um, for their efforts. And we co-inform each other's work. That also includes some, some federal activities like the Workforce uh, Investment and Opportunities Act. So, uh, yes, yeah, so this collaboration is extensive. We speak to each other's groups. So uh, my counterparts at Labor and Industry and DCED have met with educators at, at, in, at events at our intermediate units. I've spoken to their chambers and to their workforce groups, and so uh, it's important, and it helps inform the policy decisions that we're making, uh, and, and it helps us to be coherent in our messaging to ensure that business and industry and education partners are hearing the same priorities and hearing the same language used across, uh, across our agencies. Mm, that makes sense. And what's really exciting about that collaboration is that we do meet monthly and it gives us the opportunity to think about how we can do that collaboration. In fact, there have been a number of grants, okay. uh, funding sources that we've been able to braid and uh, the schools have been able to benefit from that. Great, because obviously funding is always a concern. Yes. 
What qualifications must be met for a CTE program of study to be approved by the state? So program approval is based on 22 standards, and those are outlined in regulations. It's actually a very rigorous process Mm. to be able to achieve program approval. And you can compare that to an accreditation process. Some of the things that we look at will be to ensure that there is that business engagement because each of the programs have to be aligned secondary to post-secondary. There has to be post-secondary engagement as well. And again, the workforce development boards are very much involved with uh, each of these programs. And then we take a look at the equipment to make sure that equipment is up to where it needs to be, meeting industry standards, the programs are safe, uh, that there is the integration of the academic standards. The CTE teacher is uh, using numerous uh, instructional strategies to integrate those into the CTE content. And then, of course, ensuring that each of the programs is aligned to industry standards and that the teachers are certified and many more. Okay. So it does sound very rigorous and very systematic. Yes. And and what I would add there is... Um, We really want to commend our approved programs for the time and energy and rigor that they put into that process because it speaks volumes about their commitment to to this work that they're doing. And we believe that the the rigor of the process um, is ensuring that the experiences are high quality uh, for students. So again, we commend our our CTCs and, and our approved programs for um, their their diligence and attention to detail. Okay. Now, you mentioned that students can continue as one possible pathway. They might continue on from CTE to a two- or four-year college program or working towards achieving a two- or four-year degree. Is it possible for CTE students to graduate high school with credits towards a college degree? Yes, absolutely. In fact, there are several models uh, across the state. One is in Berks County, The mechatronics program, it's actually offered through a technical academy for high-achieving students. And Mm -hmm. this is a partnership between Berks Career and Technology Center, Reading Area Community College, and the Bloomsburg University. These are for college-bound students, and they can earn up to 29 college credits while still in high school. And in fact, they will tell you that there are students exiting with associate degrees before they earn their high school diploma. So that's significant, not only in uh, the student having a jump start, but also even in uh, savings of college debt, having incurred that many college credits prior to the end of high school. Yes, absolutely. That's pretty significant. So speaking of graduation, would you explain how the state's graduation requirements were changed to provide flexibility for students in CTE programs? Sure. Um, We were, you know, at the Department of Education and our administration was very supportive. Um, As you know, the governor signed into law the original uh, act that allowed for students that achieve a certain level of proficiency on their uh, industry-related exams and not to use jargon, but in, in our world, like the NOCTI and the NIMS exams, uh, which are actually more than an exam. There's both a, a written component and a performance component. Mm-hmm. And we've now created the ability for students uh, who 
uh, show proficiency in those areas and yet are still passing their literacy, math, uh, and, um, and biology or science courses, as long as they're passing those academic courses and uh, are meeting with success in their uh, industry assessments, students are deemed to be college and career ready. And we applaud the lawmakers who, who championed that legislation. And that's now one of five pathways towards graduation that are um, in effect uh, beginning with the class of 2021 here in Pennsylvania. Wow, exciting changes you know, for students and for parents. So let's talk a bit about funding, because obviously public school uh, districts are can be constrained and challenged um, in their budgets. So how are CTE programs funded? Can you explain a bit about that? The funding is actually based on uh, having the Pennsylvania Department of Education approval. By having approval, that means that the program is eligible for the state secondary career and technical education subsidy payments, which is formula-driven, and for the first time in many, many years, decades, uh, this administration has fully funded the formula. Oh, fantastic. Yes, and then that also means that they're eligible for the federal Perkins grant, and that too is formula-based. It's looking at the census information, as well as the CTE enrollments. And then there's the state grants such as PA SMART, the Competitive Equipment Grant, and Supplemental Equipment Grant. So you've you've just mentioned the Perkins Act, and earlier you mentioned a Perkins hearing. Can you tell us the purpose of the Perkins Act? The purpose of the Perkins Act is to develop more fully the academic knowledge and technical as well as employability skills of the secondary education students, as well as post-secondary education students who elect to enroll in CTE programs. So again, with Perkins, it's that alignment of secondary to post-secondary. And what I would add um, to what Leisure shared is this is the fifth reauthorization of the original Perkins Act. And there are some some substantive policy changes to what's happening. This is federal legislation for, for the listeners that aren't as um, familiar with Perkins. Mm-hmm. So with this federal legislation, um, there's now an increased emphasis on ensuring access and opportunity for all students. So programs um, moving forward are going to have to demonstrate um, evidence that not only are students meeting with increased success both academically and in their uh, in their career assessments, but also that that uh, success is proportional across all student groups. Uh, and you know we applaud the federal government's efforts to ensure that um, equity is a, is a priority in uh, in this space. Okay. And what does the state or what do the schools have to do to meet Perkins' requirements uh, for this federal funding? Well, the first step that they have to, or the first item that they have to meet, they have to conduct a comprehensive local needs assessment. That's where they bring in a multitude of stakeholders to help guide them in their decision-making process. They have to take a look at the workforce needs of that region, determine which programs should be funded, 
And as Matthew indicated, they have to take a look at the subgroups of the students that they enroll and determine what activities will help to close any achievement gaps. And then uh, obviously they have to <laughs> submit an e-grant and mm -hmm. meet all of the required uses of funds within that grant. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've talked quite a bit about some of the work or focus of the Bureau, but what are some of the goals of the Bureau of Career and Technical Education? And do you have things coming up that you'd like to highlight that will help increase academic and occupational achievement? Sure. So um, there, there are several goals that, um, that we've crafted in consultation with stakeholders uh, for the years ahead. So, so one that's I'm sure is quite obvious to to listeners and it's come through is we're looking to increase enrollment. Uh, we there are many more opportunities out there uh, for students and quite frankly the you know the living wage jobs as well as the post-secondary opportunities uh, that students aren't fully taking advantage of. So so one thing is to increase enrollment. How we're getting about that um, is, number one, we're, we're uh, increasing our communication strategies, working with partner organizations um, to more broadly message. Our communications team is working on some new strategies uh, for, for the years ahead on what I had said earlier, how to destigmatize and, and um, inform around what CTE is. But the second thing that we've done that has already shaped conversations in some of our um, traditional high schools with without CTE programs is we have a new statewide report card, our Future Ready PA Index, and that is uh, an indicator for, for what's happening in all of our schools, K through 12. And for, uh, for our high schools, they are getting credit, if you will, on that dashboard when they are enrolling students into CTE programs, we, we are giving credit to that in the same way we do when a school is enrolling students into an AP class or an IB class. And, uh, and so that has helped to stir lots of conversations at the local levels with, uh, you know, with whether or not students are getting those opportunities. It's sort of by measuring it and communicating it, it elevates the, the needs and opportunities. I think the other the other goal uh, that you mentioned that, that remains important for us is academic proficiency. Mm -hmm. um, because we continue to measure, so for example, our NACTI exams, which are our end of program of study assessments that we were talking about before, we have upwards of a, you know, depending on, on the population, but upwards of an 85% uh, proficiency rate on those assessments. But yet, when you look at our academic exams, the Keystone exams, uh, students enrolled in career and technical education programs are still performing below their peers in non-CTE programs. And we know that students are gonna, gonna, going to engage in multiple careers after they graduate, and they're going to still need the fundamental reading, writing, and scientific thinking skills. Mm -hmm. so, so Lee and her team uh, have created resources uh, online, uh, T-charts and other resources on our SAS portal to help schools bridge the curriculum so that, uh, so that CTE teachers know how to incorporate 
the rigorous mathematical concepts into what they're doing and the rigorous literacy concepts. Uh, and then also we, we fund um, consultants that work with school districts and help to um, engage them uh, in CTE programs in professional development to help them move the needle on academic achievement so that doesn't get lost in the technical instruction. Lee, would you like to add one or two of the other goals? So, yes, as Matthew indicated, we're looking uh, to continue the academic, increase academic achievement, increase technical skill attainment, uh, also to bring about that increased business engagement and increase CTE enrollment. And so we'll go back and forth for just a minute mm-hmm. here. That's a great sure. example that Lee gave. So the role of the Occupational Advisory Councils is a, is a discrete goal that our team has created because we see some career and technical centers that very, very robust occupational advisory councils, which are which are the groups that work with the schools, um, not only to inform about local uh, occupational needs, but also to help with the needs assessment and determining program uh, uh, priorities. And, 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 and also, quite frankly, they bring their resources to bear into the programs. Uh, but, but it's mixed, and we have other CTCs that don't have uh, occupational advisory councils that are as robust. And we really want to see business and industry authentically and meaningfully engaged in what's happening in all of our career and tech centers. So our goal has been to increase involvement and increase the quality of those relationships. Great. That's fantastic information. It's very interesting and encouraging hearing about the broad possibilities for today's students as they embark on their educational path, their life path, and and these are new, unique, broad possibilities that didn't exist, I think, for students of you know prior generations. Very encouraging. I want to thank you both, Dr. Burkett and Matthew. I want to thank you both so much for being with us today. It was our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. This podcast is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association and is brought to you in part by sponsors CM Regent and ServPro. Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's episode and others. This is Annette Stevenson saying thanks for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.